0: Live from the Liquor Barn Studios, it's time for The V Show, right here on ESPN 680 and 105.7. Now, here's Bobby V. Yes, I'm talking to you by phone today. I'm honest to the point of a fault. I tell people, they don't really care. As Johnny Sane once said, they don't want to about the labor thing. they just want to see the baby so all i want to know is are you on the air yes but i'm on the air by phone because this is my day i'm going out of town today because i'm always fucking out of town so that's the way my life is so whenever i got some business to do i gotta go do it you know in this little windows i'm home so i had to run like 35 errands this morning and still get back to do the show i walk in the house and my uh giant husky has decided. I think I'll reminisce. Let's all be nostalgic about the days when I was a puppy. And I came home and I defecated everywhere in the house for a week. Oh, no. And so she said, let's do that again. So I walked in and, is- and I feel bad. She probably doesn't feel well because it's a messy thing. So, of course, though, proving God's got a sense of humor. He said, now that your house smells like an outhouse, let's have a visitor have to come to you today. So I need a repairman because our washing machine broke. And I don't know how to fix it. I went online, looked at the video, and that that didn't help. So we have to get a guy. And and if I had to do it again, come back as a repairman because they are truly the kings of the world. (laughs) They come and go whenever the hell they want. They can they just show up when they feel like it. They are. I'm sorry, some repairman listening while he's on route screaming because he's like, I'm doing my third call this morning. I've been up since four. Shut up! But it's unbelievable. I mean, you just are at their mercy. So I'm at their mercy. So I can't go. I can't do anything. I had to, that's why I had to get back because I had to make shows at the house, that's why I'm not in the studio so I got a guy who I don't know who I don't know when he's coming, I don't know what it's going to cost and he's going to walk into a house that smells like a giant defecation pot yeah, that's my day <laughs> and to make it worse, if I wasn't planning to do the show like this, I don't have my equipment connected, so I tried to connect it and uh, found out I couldn't because one of the pieces is a rechargeable and it was not charged so as I was plugging in and trying to charge it I realized, well, I can't do the show while it's charging. So I went to my backup, which is the old ISDN line we used to have in here. Uh, uh, the, not the ISDN, the, uh, the voice over Internet thing, the uh, Ethernet. And uh, I forgot that my dog, this is absolutely the truth, my life's a sitcom. My dog had chewed through the power cord about three months ago, so I had no power cord. So I got a new power cord, hasn't been connected yet, so I couldn't get on with that, couldn't get on with the phone. Smells like a cesspool in here. And how's your day? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Bob, you having fun?
0: <laughs> no, I can't tell you. I enjoy this, and I got to be at the airport because they're they going wait for me. So, I got to be ready to go. I don't have any clothes packed. So, no, it's good.
1: It's good. What, it's what time's your plane? Fun morning.
0: Uh, I'm going to have no right after I leave. If I ready to leave right after the show, I'll make it. But I'm not packed, so I'm going to have to during commercial breaks see if I could pack, and see if their repairman's going to be here. I hope he's an honest guy, because in all likelihood, I'm going to have to leave. So I'm just going to have to tell him, pull the door behind you, dude. And, uh, you know, if you, my wife I'll save you the trouble. My wife's jewelry's in that drawer right there. <laughs> the
1: so. so who's going to be home later? What? Huh? Who's going to be That's home nice later to, to clean up the mess? Well,
0: she'll be home at some point. Well, my wife is... Her mission is to work 30 jobs at a time if she can. So she has to go from one job to another job, and so she never here either. So um, that's probably a bad thing to say, because was probably listening, saying, damn, that's my house. I'm getting there. They're never there. So, wow. Uh, anyway. And we had so many good things. I really knew you were coming in today, and I was like, man, there is meat on the bone. There's two topics. I know you're only going to be here a few minutes, so I'm going to throw them out, and I'm sure we'll keep talking about them after you leave. One is that the Dartmouth players – Have legally formed a union and anybody who thinks that that is going to be the only school in the country that does it has lost their minds a judge said that you know they are when they meet all of the conditions of what an employee does for their employer correct and so they're a union the other teams in the Ivy League are going to be union unionized and you're you and I are old enough to remember when the baseball players first unionized And then the basketball players were right behind them. Everybody rolled their eyes and said, oh, these clowns, they can't unionize. And they'll never get any traction. And now they're among the most powerful unions in the country. Exactly. And um, I don't know what this means because while, while college sports are extremely lucrative for the very, very handful of teams, they're not lucrative for the overwhelming majority of teams. And now if they've all got to start meeting some certain conditions that are financial obligations because of unionization, I I don't know. I think you may see some schools get out of the sports business altogether. That's what and I'm thinking.
1: Also, I mean, if I'm a school president, you have to ask yourself that question at this point. If this has not become untenable in some, I mean, rational way, and it's interesting. I don't know if you saw the article Rick Pitino talking about needing a salary cap. I mean, after the this is from ESPN.com after the NLRB ruling, Patino joked that his players had asked to, quote, work on their shooting, unquote, uh, but he told them he didn't want them to exceed their hours for the week. The NCAA has been adamant that athletes are not employees, and now he's lobbying for a salary cap, saying for basketball, have the Power Five Big East Conference Commissioners get together, create a salary cap of between $1.5 and $2 million, all contracts delivered to the league and school offices. It's just, this has gotten so out of hand. But But you know what? It it makes sense when you think about it. But well, here's my take on it. Oh, I hate that term. Here's my thought on it is uh,
0: he's because uh, if you listen to what he says, he's not advocating that boy, I really like this. He's saying what I say, which is it doesn't matter whether Fred Calgill likes it or I like it or Dino likes it. It's the reality of the world right now. So you've got to come up with a workable framework within what the, the new current parameters are. And so, and if those current parameters, like where I used to work, St. Francis College, New York. They got out of the athletic business. They have no more teams. This is the first year in 100-some-odd years – They have no sports
1: teams. Well, think about it. I mean, the the mission of the University of Louisville, as an example only, is to educate. That's what it is. And sports became part of that because it was part of the fabric of that community. It was an asset for student athletes, and it was fun for people to go watch. And all these other sports, more or less, were the same thing. And many of them lost money. Well, little by little, that all changed. And we've seen dramatic changes in the last 10 years. And now we're here. So... At what point do you say I've got a professors making 75 grand and coaches making five million or more that that's just that that can't work forever? I get why Nick Saban made all the money at Alabama. He did because he changed the image of a school. Alabama at its worst. I mean, had a very negative impression back in the 60s and all that. And and now it has an enormously positive one. And sports basically changed that. But that's the exception to the rule. At the end of the day. Stephen paid for himself, but I can't see any of this working for very long if it hasn't already been broken.
0: You know, we talk about there would be a power, uh, you know, four or five conferences of 80 teams. They may be, forget about the power, they may be the only teams that play sports. That may be what it comes down to. Exactly. And everybody else who plays would play at the club level. You know, and kids come, and if they want to pay their own way, they essentially everybody's Division Three, except the teams at the very power level, because that's the only way I imagine you can get around it is if you if you want to play for some umbrella organization that is making money at the very highest level. They're going to be unionized, just like the. you can't play in the NBA. You know, you've you got to be a member of the Players
1: Association. This, this so, again, is from the ESPN article. Dartmouth can appeal the NLRB's ruling, but the decision is another potentially groundbreaking event in a stretch that has rapidly reshaped college athletics. NCAA president Charlie Baker has called for a new tier, in quotes, of college sports for the richest schools, to your point, which could then pay their athletes an annual stipend through a trust fund. The Big Ten and SEC, the two richest conferences in college sports, recently created a joint committee to discuss the future of college athletics and multiple lawsuits in recent months have challenged NCW rules on transfers and NIL deals. So that's right to your point that they may be the only game in town by the time this is all said and done.
0: Yeah, and and, and the fact of the matter is, I'm sorry the NCAA and the presidents to some degree who really are the NCAA only have themselves to blame this was coming it's been coming like right down broadway for years and they went and ran and hit under the bed they kept trying every thing they could to not deal with the fact that that sports have turned into a billion with a b billion dollar industry and it's very – for the people who say, well, I don't see how that's fair because, you know, some kid who plays piano and he does a recital for his school, you know, he's not an employee. He's making – he's probably not making any money at all for the school. I mean, if he's, if he's lucky, they cover the expenses of opening the auditorium and turning the lights on for the night. That's the truth. If he's really making money, he's not doing it for the school. He's out there with his own recording contract. Right. So this is the, – there's no analogy to this. And they just went and hid under the bed. They yep. kept trying to come up with – all of these ways to, to avoid acknowledging that they sh- they're – I don't have to like it. You don't have to like it. But they're essentially professionals right now, and that's the way you have to treat them.
1: Well, as you know, I'm now a part-time professor at L, and so I'm even more sensitive to this on, on a variety of levels than I would have been before, and I taught there 30 years ago as well. And when I see how tight money is at L, when I see in the communication department how tight the money is to – do the simple things like getting office supplies and then i see all the money being thrown around in sports not necessarily the olympic sports but especially the revenue sports that it, it's it's hard for me to reconcile that I mean, as you know i've always been a big big education guy i still remember my dad you know it education embraces education teeth they wanted good teeth and and so I did. I, I got a master's degree, and you know, got braces three times until they finally got it right, or the, my my body got it right. So. That's a big deal. And education is a big deal. And I know it's a challenged business model now because of the enormous amount of money it costs to go to college, the debt you're ringing up. And I've, I've walked in these shoes. I've, I've spent a bunch of money for four kids to get them through school. And they have borrowed money as well, at least the last two. So I understand all the challenged economics in this. And so now we see this. And as much as I'm a sports nut and I love college sports, maybe more than anything except horse racing, I, I have a real problem with this morally and ethically. And you know, it's—I don't want to sound incredibly Pollyanish, but to some degree it does sound that way. But this can't survive; it's untenable. And I think that this is the, the train wreck. It's often said, at, you know, in intersections and in cars, you know, why do they get traffic lights? Well, it takes a certain number of serious accidents to get a traffic uh, light put in a place or to get a railroad crossing and all that. We've seen the train wreck. This is it. We're living it right now, and we're seeing things change by the moment. And it, right now, college athletics is a minor league for the NFL and others. It just is. I mean, and how do you get around that? You can't. It's it's For me, anyway, it's impossible to argue the other side.
0: Well, here's the thing, and I understand what you're saying, and I'm not even here to debate it. You know, why are schools in existence? Well, they're they're in existence to educate, and so... You, you used to be able to make the case that that was what athletics was, as yes. Joe Paterno used to say. It should be treated just like any other extracurricular activity. But yes. The fact of the matter is, that ship sailed a long time ago. And Correct. again, you don't have to like it. I don't have to like it. But to me, it's it, I, I, I I agree partially with what you're saying, but I think it's conditional meaning this. That I understand the people who are uh, upset in the academic circles who say, I can't even buy legal pads because they won't you know, approve exactly. me money to do that. But exactly. meanwhile, we're paying coaches millions. I get that. But here's my point. At some point, again, don't have to like it. we got to draw a line and say they're not really part of the academic picture. They are essentially a- an affiliation. They are a professional team that affiliates with this university. You're talking That's sports what it now. Down to.
1: The and that, revenue and, sports. And, and, and when you look what? You're talking revenue sports now.
0: Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about basically football, men football, men's basketball to some degree, maybe women's basketball and, and certain places maybe volleyball. And certain places ice hockey, believe it or not. I mean right. men's
1: ice hockey. But those are isolated but examples. But I mean really the two exactly. major things are football and basketball. Men's.
0: Yes. But but my point is you would be able to say then Look, they are, you know, this is they're running their business affiliated with our university and and so yeah, they're spending money and they're making money and and we're paying players and and then over here we're running the academic side and they are affiliated with us. Right. But we don't we're not, you know, it, you don't control them anymore. You really don't. They they're their own animal and that, and that's the only way it can work because if you try to pretend that somehow the athletic programs at these places where the players are now professionals are going to be treated even remotely like the other students, you got to be out of your mind. Right. I mean, uh, how, how could you possibly make that justification? But there's still oh, there's
1: students. Here's the hard part for me. There's still students. They're, they're actually in yeah. school, in theory, getting an academic education, in theory.
0: Well, you know, there's, there's some thought that maybe that won't even be there in the future either. I know. To be honest but, with you. I know. But, but, but okay.
1: And know, I struggle with this. I do.
0: They they would still be – I can understand, you know, that they would still have to answer to the academic side, the deans, like, to get their degree. They have to meet the conditions. they got to pass right. classes. Exactly. they turn papers. So that you still have control over. But the money side, the business side, you, can, you know, Godspeed. Go, go. No, you're go in, right. Go in mercy. Go in peace.
1: I, for me – <laughs> it doesn't pass the smell test it doesn't pass the look test i just so all this rah-rah about valvano U and one of those 65 what are you really trying to be because i'm i've always so i've got this class at uofl and i'm I'm asking these kids what do you want to be who is and i fill in the blank of their names and so so who is valvano U? and do you really like the way that looks that's a good question
0: just, well, I don't know. That would be a hard one, because I'll be honest with you. Uh, UofL, as much as I love the place,
1: isn't the, the, the
0: athletic programs are not really, if you, if you, not, I'll say this gently, but they're not really for the students. They're not. I mean, it, we don't have pro sports here, so they're really for the rich people yes. who buy those tickets courtside. Yes. I mean, I would think if you went and asked that question to the kids who sat outside Allen Fieldhouse from Wednesday morning to Saturday afternoon and camped out, to get tickets to the Houston-Kansas game and then got to the arena two hours before the tip and just sat there and cheered and went crazy and had a ball. And the kids who sit in Bill. I think they would say, oh, "It's fine. It's great. No, right. this is fine. Pay what you want to pay them." So okay, so yeah, undergrad at Tennessee
1: forty years ago. I mean, we did the same thing at Tennessee, and you're right. that was part of the student experience. We sat out yes. uh, overnight to get the t- tickets for the the Kentucky-Tennessee game the year they won the national championship in '78. No, and and there are many other schools just like that. There's still that element that exists. And that's that's the charm of it. That's why I love college sports, whether it's at Auburn or you fill in the blank of a, a passionate fan base, student driven, that they're still part of that. Because for me, that's part of the experience. Why did I go to Tennessee undergrad? Well, you know, it's warm weather. It was you know, the golf team. It was a broadcasting major. And, and it was it was the sports because there was such a passion in that community, part of the entire community. Uh, it, was, it was part of the, and still is part of the fabric of that community. But all of that stuff is in danger of going away. I still remember, and I think I've said this to you before, 2013 National Championship, which did happen. Louisville wins it. And, you know, those guys stayed. They were there four and five years. Why did I love them? It's my all-time favorite teams. We got to know them. I mean, Russ Smith and Peyton Siva and these just fun guys. And we're not seeing that anymore. We're seeing that change Meteorically overnight, and, and now it's well, all NIL and transfer portal, and I'm like, we're losing all the, the wonderful charms that you're speaking to about Krzyzewskiville and all of that. You may be, hey, Duke or whatever, but I, I also admire the passion of those students as you're referring to.
0: Well, to your point, that is part of the problem, and I don't want to make it sound like, you know, look at this guy. He's got all the answers. Believe me, I don't have all the answers, but I'm getting better at defining the problems at least. And one of the things that you just did, Fred, is you talked about why it's so hard because you're really fighting a war on three different fronts. Exactly. You, you've got the front about making money, the mm-hmm. money that's involved, right. and and sharing it. What share of that do the kids get and how do they get it? Right. The second one is, you know, maintaining your personnel, which is different. Like, I mean, you can't just you couldn't decide one day that you got tired of working at 32 and go across the street and start working for one of the other stations. doesn't work that way. Your contract forbade you to do that. Correct. So these guys are going to be professionals now. They may have to give something back, which is you just can't leave. You can't like now nah, you can You can leave whenever the hell you want. Right. You can just go wherever you want, whenever you want. So you know, and that that to me makes sense because even like one of the most r- richest leagues in the world is the English Premier Soccer League, and they have two transfer windows: one in the preseason, which is pretty long, and then one in halfway through the year, and that's it. That's when players can change teams, and that's it. And other than that, you signed a deal, you're honoring the deal. So if that's to me, I would have I would have a problem with that. I would I would trade off these guys quite unquote, unionizing, if it meant that now, okay, well, now you're going to have to make concessions like real professional people do, which is honor contracts, and exactly. you can't just go wherever the hell you want, whenever the hell you want. And yep. That's fine by me.
1: Because right now they have it both ways. They, they hide yeah, behind the that, student part, and yet and they have no responsibilities other than make the money and run when they want to. Right. No, it's. Yeah. And, and I've always been about the students getting paid. I mean, I, I've never had a problem with that, but there's got to be a way to do this that's better than. That to hear Tennessee's being accused of breaking the ru- rules, rather, in NIL, there are no rules in NIL. It's the Wild West. I mean, come on. That's the part that makes me laugh is that when they
0: said, well, they were using it as an inducement to get kids to come, I was like. <laughs> Hello, have you ever gone for a job and not asked them what you're going to make? Right. I mean, what well, well, you know? Th- th- isn't that part of it? Right. You said, "Oh yeah, I'll pick I mean, so what? Well, they're not supposed to do that. They're supposed to say, "Well, when you get there, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll you can make some money, but we can't tell you what or how." I mean, what are you crazy? It's just so illogical. I know.
1: And yet, here I am watching college basketball and trying to distance myself from that because when you watch a Kansas and a Kansas State in its purest form, and I have no dog in that fight, it was fun to watch the passion oh, of the yeah. fans. It was. It's what I love about college athletics, and it, so I'm yeah. I'm really struggling with all this right now because I I just see this train wreck in front of me in slow motion and don't know how to save those people.
0: All right, well, let me get into another one of your passions because here was the second topic I was going to get into. I know you're not going to be here all that long today, but you'll want to talk about this. Um, Tim Sullivan just wrote a piece that you know what is it about Churchill Downs? They just won't seem to forgive Bob Baffert. He seems to have come out and said, All right, yep, mea culpa. I'm sorry. You know, let's move on. I, I did my time. It wasn't like he didn't pay a penalty. He paid a penalty. Now he wants to go on. And they said, We don't care. You're not bringing your horses here for the Derby. And so, and, and, to, and what do you make of his owners saying, Well, then we're not going to run in the Derby. You get mm. one crack at it. I, boy, that takes some Cleonese. I might say to Bob, "Listen, I love you, brother, but right. <laughs> for this year, that cowgirl's going to train my horse. Right. I'm running in Louisville. So, what do you make of that whole situation?"
1: That's a really good question, Bob. And, and frankly, the thing that first struck me about that was the owners. The people, you know, if people talk what supports horse racing. Well, the, the betters do. I mean, that that is the ultimate financial engine. But there are pieces to all this, and another massive piece is the owners. And so now. I'm struggling as what's good for the game if I'm commissioner. And I'm thinking of the owners now saying, in, in Bob's case, well, we're in the head with them. Then we'll, we'll just go someplace else. That's not for the good of the game. And it's not the good for the owners. It's not that Churchill's doing well, this.
0: They're not doing that, though. They said we just won't send our horses. I
1: couldn't believe that. Well, that's yeah, my whole point, that the owners have said well, we're staying loyal to Bob, which means we're not going to. Eight of the top 50 are not going to be in the derby. I mean right, that's that's exactly. I think it was uh, Horse Racing Nation did a nice article last couple of days. One on the topic of this being Derby one forty nine and a half, not Derby one fifty, because of the lack of having the best three year olds if you're not gonna have Bafford in there, especially after he is caved and, and thrown, you know, all sorts of piece leaves, olive branches, whatever you want to call it. And then the reality of it that eight of the top fifty as of we know right now will not be going to the derby or potentially to the derby. It just it's wrong for the game. And that, again, I I always try to look at it since I my heart's in the right place. I'd do it for a dollar plus benefits. I'd be the commissioner. And and I'm saying to these guys this is not good for Churchill Downs. This is not good for the Kentucky Derby that you're doing this now. This is almost vindictive to the point of hurting yourself in the process because this won't be the best derby. It won't. I don't and it's derby 150 and I know the logic. The logic is It's Derby 150. We want the focus to be on Derby 150. I totally got that, and rightfully so. But think about this for a second. How much is this now is going to be about Bob Baffert because they're not letting him in? If they let him in, even if he had the favorite. Okay, so you deal with that the first day. Even the second day, yes, he's back. Okay, and then it's about the horses and the race. But doing it this way? This is all we're going to hear about for those two weeks, the horses that are not here. And it's really Derby 150 wasn't the best field after all, especially the statistic from Horse Racing Nation that other than Baffert's horses, American Pharoah and Authentic and Justify, that the horses in that window that won the Kentucky Derby never won again. American Mm. Pharoah wins the Triple Mm. Crown. Justify wins the Triple Crown. Authentic was an amazing racehorse. Went on to win. All the other actual winners. Now, Mandaloon won again, but he was a DQ'd winner in. All the other winners of the Kentucky Derby, roughly in that span of time, never won a race again. Is that really what you want? Is that really what the sport wants, what the fans want? Is it really what Churchill Downs wants? And my answer is no.
0: You know, know, the best analogy I can think of, and you're a golf fan too, so I think you'd appreciate it, is the majors last year basically... They understood the ugliness that existed between the Live Tour and the PGA Tour, but they basically still had the Live guys playing in their event because they right. were like, we're, we're putting the best field in the world out there. So you guys, you know, you figure it out on your own, but we our, our concern is our event. And they all had, you know, there were Live guys playing in everything, right? They played in the Masters, they played in the US Open, right. I think they played in everything. Right. So, you know, that that speaks to your point. If you want to make it the best, You've got to have the best play. You've got to figure out a way to get the best players, best horses in
1: your field. To your point. That's exactly right. And so sometimes I've found myself as guilty of this as anybody. I don't ask the right question. You know, you're thinking, I want this answer. No, What's the right question? And sometimes, especially in this situation and the college athletic situation, I don't think they've been asking the right question. I think they've gotten in in college athletics. It's been caught up in the money and in the horse racing situation, it's been caught up in many issues, including egos. And I think, again, the the Pollyanna guy in me, here I am. So what do I want? Well, I want the best horse race. Derby 150 should be the best field ever, should be the best of everything. And it will be the best of everything except the field. It won't be the best three-year-olds. If you're losing eight of the top 50, even if four of them got through, three of them got, heck, one year Nick Zito had like five horses in the Derby. So they might have had a lot of, I mean, of Baffert's horses in there because let's put it behind us finally. If they'd taken the high road, they would have looked even better too and come out and talk about it and be done with it. But now it just keeps going and going and going and dragging everybody down. And I'm like, this is not the right answer. You didn't ask the right question. What do you want? You, I, you, I want the best derby have, ever. You have good
0: friends at Churchill, I think. And so Tim Sullivan told me he can't get anybody to speak on the record about it. I don't think – is that helping them?
1: No, that's my whole point. I, I would have done – you know, if I'm king for a day of Churchill well, I mean,
0: Downs – You're saying that people aren't asking the right questions, and I get that, but – They're not – you know, you can volunteer the answers if you think it's – they're
1: not doing that either. No, but they're – yeah, they've not said anything about this. They're not going to. I mean, they've stood absolutely silent on all of this. And it's a total head-scratcher to me. It doesn't make any sense because they're not getting – uh, is that what they want? They just want what they think is Derby One Hundred and Fifty and the Great Paddock Two Hundred Million Dollars, which is great. I mean, they've poured a ton of money into the place, and they're making a ton of money with Derby City Gaming and expanded horse racing, uh, historical horse racing, sports betting. You know, you got Derby City Gaming now. You buy Turfway. Uh, they've got New Orleans, obviously. They got Ellis. They're doing great stuff. But this, this, I don't agree with. And I, you know. It's very frustrating because I honestly don't believe they're to get the results that they ultimately want. There's going to be a Derby 150. There's going to be a winner. There's going to be a garland of roses. But are they going to get the best horse? I have my doubts now. Yeah,
0: Fred Calgill's with us. Fred, for those of you who listen regularly, know he's teaching a class at Louisville now. I'm curious. What you know? It's not a big class. I know you told me that, but you, you're getting a vibe. How do they feel about sports? The college kids now. What, what are they like? pro sports college sports sports in general what, what 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 kind of vibe are you getting from
1: them uh, they're juniors and seniors they're really smart It's only seven kids which is uh, they're grown-ups but i still will not call them kids i'm i'm 100 years old here um I'm really impressed by them as a body of work. I truly am. I mean, they're all smart. They're all very attentive. They've been listening. They just turned in their first projects, which was a blog on Matt Wynn. And they were, as a body of work, fantastic. I don't think I'm you know, I'm supposed to be secretive here, but I'm really proud of them. And I think they have the whole world in front of them. And, and I, I worry, but at the same time, I see young people like this and i think you know the world's going to be okay if these seven people get into the world and and make a dent and i'm really encouraging them in a lot of areas beyond horse racing and talking about you know they asked about training today and the different horses and how do you train them and that, that bled over into training young people to be future leaders and all of that stuff so all it's, it's a course about horse racing and the derby specifically but I've, I've covered you know about 50 topics i mean there are a lot of layers to this in week five of 14 weeks so But to answer your question, I think they see it in a balanced way. I, uh, one of them is doing play-by-play for a Class A baseball team up in Michigan. And so there's an involvement there. They're, they're you know, people who are already accomplished for their ages and are going to make a dent in whatever their chosen profession. I've told them I don't presume they're all going to end up in communications or, or you know anything like this at all or, or horse racing, but that'd be really huge if they did. But these are all building blocks to whatever they end up doing, including public speaking as well as many other things and influencing and doing the right thing. They, they asked about rules breaking. They asked about Baffert, and I'm like, you know, these are all important topics. About you know, there are outliers in every business. There are outliers in radio and television. I show, I played him Joe Piscopo from 1982. Uh Specifically, because in those days, Joe Piscopo was a famous comedian in the era, Saturday Night Live, used to do an imitation of a local TV sportscaster, which was in that era spot on and priceless. No verbs, lots of yelling, uh, you know, just very, very one dimensional. It's hysterical still to watch.
0: No, no, no verbs.
1: No verbs, none. So, I showed them that. I said, you know, in my day, he was an outlier. That was the shortcut to success. And I had, a, I had a coach I had for three years. And he was like, you want the shortcut and then you'll be gone in a few years? Or you want the long haul? You want to be in this for 40 or 50 years? I'm like, yes, sir. He said, then you're going to do it the right way. You're going to. And he was a trainer who was doing it the right way, just like all the horse trainers out there. And some play in a gray area. I don't believe Bob's a cheater. I don't. I mean, I just, I've been around him enough. Now, do all of those guys play in gray areas? My suspicion is that's probably true. I don't know gospel or anything. But the the problem is image is reality, and Bob has had issues in this area, and so it finally caught up with him. I think that is a big part of the problem. But at the end of the day, as my coach told me years ago do it the right way you're in it for the long haul don't take shortcuts like Joe Piscopo and start yelling at the camera and not using verbs and being all one-dimensional and you'll have success you'll end up in New York and then you'll be gone in a cup of coffee and guess what happened to all of those Joe Piscopos they were gone very quickly and I've been blessed. I mean, I didn't make New York, although I had my chance and all that. But I've had a wonderful career of 49 years. And because you're trying every day for that bar to do it the right way. Bob Volvano, trying to do it the right way. Have we had our issues? Absolutely. Have we made our mistakes? Absolutely. Have there been challenged times? Absolutely. Have there been times when you just wanted to spit the bit and say, I'm done? Absolutely. But none of those things happened because you fought your way through it and did the right thing. And ultimately, you won the day because you did take the tougher road and the one that's more patient and all that. And I would suggest that with the whole coaching situations also, that they need to be a little more patient to think it's a body of work. But, of course, the, the environment doesn't promote that, right? With all the money involved now, you know, instant gratifications, phones, instant gratification. I could This is my soapbox. I could go on for I could fill your three hour radio show with this stuff. So. Now, back to your ultimate question about the students. I think they have it in perspective. And I think it takes people like you and me and in shows like this to make the case for that, to make the case for doing it the right way. Because I think people, you know, now it's NIL and the rush to this. There's got to be something tomorrow and something the day after that and something the day after that. And we might not always be in the spotlight, but we're going to do it the right way. Okay, I'm off my Mm Thanks.
0: No, but you know what it's a it's a really interesting point you make 'cause there's there's two responses to that, and I'm not arguing with you obviously yeah. i mean i I believe in that too, but I think there's a very interesting and and meat on the bone kind of response. One is the baseball player and I forget who it was, I think he spoke on the condition of anonymity said they said, what are you doing you know you're you're risking your career taking these." steroids. I mean, you know, they could ban yeah, you for life. Right. Yeah, they could. Right. But in the meantime, I'm going to have three years where I hit 55 home runs and I'm going to make $35, 40000000 million. And then if I don't play again, I'm set for 10 lifetimes. Right. The risk reward is worth it to me. Right. And that leads to the second point, because I agree with you. I've seen a whole bunch of sports guests, even people I worked with at ESPN that came in and they were brash and all oh, people immediately said, oh, look at this guy or that guy. But then they don't last. But, is, but the, the question that, that that leads to is, but I'm sure the kids would ask you this, with so many people now and so many outlets and so many stations and so many blogs and, and podcasts, how do you make yourself stand out then? You can't just say, well, I'm going to be in it for the long haul. You may not last the long haul to have people take your body of work as a quality and say yeah he did 30 good years of work after two years they may say hey i didn't even notice the guy so he's gone how do you what do you tell them about
1: that well i would make the case that environment in 1980 when i i got on cnn at 22 years old was no different than it is now as far there are more outlets i get that point uh but i think the concept is the same there were i mean all sorts of qualified people out there and you're going to have to fight. And there were times when, you know, I was waiting for people to invite me to leave. So I get to that point. But I I wasn't, I was chasing the dream, not the money. And I think when your heart's in the right place like that, that, you know, I never, I've never done this for the money. I mean, I was blessed. I've been blessed to have a nice career. Never made a lot of money. Made a nice living. Got to raise four kids here in Louisville. You know, and that, that's all I really wanted was a middle class life and to do this for a living because I loved it so much. And so much of that other stuff that I've seen is shtick and that's the word that my my coach used years ago it's all shtick it's all just a gimmick and it's going to come and go and you're going to have to find a way to survive so when the oceans are deep and there's there's six foot waves and 10 foot waves you're going to have to keep swimming and not drown so when the ocean does calm down you do stand out by the fact that you did do it the right way and those guys come and go so you're right but i, I think the circumstances aren't that different there yes there are way more outlets than there were in 1980 no question about that but the concept is the same i mean the three million people in the United States, more or less, and I'm some schmo from you know suburban New York City thinking I'm going to end up on TV. I'm not Jim Nance. I'm not you know. You pick your your big guy, whether it's Buck or whoever it happens to be. I never w- was able to get there. I mean, I, I, but I was swinging for Alpha Centauri, and if I made the moon, it was a good thing, right? I mean, I'm you know the the I got on national TV. I've, I've been at this for. I've loved every ounce of what I've done, and I, honestly. If you chase your dream and not the money, I think things tend to work out for the most part. What's the old cliche about it? You never work a day in your life. I have I have worked many days in my life. My body is pretty beaten up now and all of that. And you have, too. But it, it, it's always been about the dream. And another again, sound Pollyanish Pollyannish for the third time referring to that. But it's true. It's the way I feel. <laughs> and no, I agree. It, it, you know, it's and that's what my my coach was trying to tell me. He goes, who is Fred Cowgill? And I, I say that to my students. Now. I went around the room to each of the seven of them and said them by name. Who and I fill in their name. Who are, who is, blank. And I'm so their first projects on Matt Wynn. I read them. I read them, and I could I could see them in my head. They listened to me. It was not just about Matt Wynn, but it was. Bob Alvano's take on Matt Wynn, which was fantastic. That, because at the end of the day, that's what separates you. And that was the point. Even I had an agent, Alfred Geller, who in the time was a very um, influential agent in media in the early mid 80s. And he looked at me, he said, You know, we're trying to build a person where they're going to come and find you. You're going to be a channel switcher. Why? Because you do it well. And well always holds up, well is timeless. Talent is timeless. Doing it right is timeless. The other stuff comes and goes. And he was right. People started vent. I mean, I still remember a news director in, uh, I won't mention the city, calls me, and I'm, I'm like, why do you want me? He goes, you're a channel switcher. I almost fell out of my chair. I'm like, wow. Okay. Cool.
0: Well, you see, I think it's interesting you say that, because as I get older, I appreciate things. I will tell you the truth. When he first started, I was not one of the minions who thought Howard Stern was spectacular? And people were, you know, in our age group, they thought he was the coolest thing in the world. And you'd ask why, and they, and really, I hate to say it, but a lot of his appeal to me was he would come up to a situation, a conversation, and if there were five things to say, he would find the most inappropriate thing to say and say it. And then people would say, "Oh my God, did you hear what Howard said?" And um, and then he got a reputation for that. I mean, it sounds crazy now, but I remember he did a thing called Lesbian Dial-A-Date, you know, which at that time was considered, oh my God, how outrageous. But, you know, as he's gotten older and I see snippets of his interviews, he actually is a very good interviewer. He actually asks very good questions. And I think that's why he's lasted, not because of shtick. It's because he is fearless, which, you know, that helps too. But he really does... Ask interesting questions. Yes. I, I got to tip my hat to that. So, I, To yes. your point, I don't think you can last for a lifetime just on shtick.
1: No, I if you agree. you don't
0: get some substance, you're not going to make it.
1: I've never met him, but I've always had the sense that is him. I mean, I don't like this guy. Is it Pat McAfee, the guy that's now doing basically the yeah. same kind? Okay. I don't like him. I don't like anything about him. But I wonder how much is him and how much is what he thinks he wants to be of himself. That jury's still out for me, but I don't like what I see. Howard Stern, I never got the sense that that wasn't him. For better or for worse... Howard Stern is Howard Stern, and, and I've come yeah, to appreciate yeah, him a great. lot over the years as well. I, I, I think I've told you this story. My my coach, when we were doing all this for three years, just used to beat the junk out of me. One day, he shows me the film Giant. I think I mentioned, mentioned this about a month ago. And it, for those who don't know, it's a Rock Hudson movie back in like the 50s about oil tycoons and all this. And there's a scene he showed me specifically of where things are going wrong, and then suddenly they hit oil, and Rock Hudson's there, and all of his viralness, or whatever the correct word is, and oil all over him. And just being a man. And so my coach, Jerry's like, so what do you take from that? I'm like, he didn't care what anybody thought. He was who he was, for better or worse. He saw himself for who he was, and he could live with that. He goes, exactly. And you know the problem with Fred right now? I'm like, well, I probably have a lot of problems. And I was 23, 24 years old. He's like, you don't know who that guy is yet. But when you do, you will come to a peace about it. And for better or for worse, when you're really that, you'll do your best work. I'm like, why? He goes, because it's you. And for better or for worse, it's Fred, not just the sports guy, but Fred, the guy who, not just the worst or the best, but they come together to become one. And that's when you'll do your best work. And he was spot on. It took me 40 years who to figure it out. Who Jerry Krohn, uh, he was my coach. Jerry Krohn, he was a, a part-time Broadway actor, and he was my coach with uh, Alfred Geller back at Alfred Media Management, Geller Media Management, uh, back in wow. 1980 to 1984-ish, somewhere in that window. And, uh, Back
0: when they actually used to give talent some direction rather than just...
1: <laughs> oh, it was <laughs> Oh, it was there. psychological. The whole thing, I mean, there, there was a lot of physical stuff, too. I had to do voice coaching. I used to have to read into a cassette player three times a day. A, 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 a O, 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 I mean... You're kidding. Oh, no. Really? No, no, yeah. Because I had all like, sorts of you accents.
0: Were like, you were like the girl in My Fair Lady. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. And I mean, seriously, because I, I mean, I grew up in upstate New York, which has a certain twang to it, uh, suburban New York City. Then I go to Knoxville undergrad. I go to Boston for grad school. And I'm in Atlanta. I had like, you know, a million accents. Nobody knew where I was from because I had so many of them. And but he, f- that eventually got eliminated. And the big Achilles heel I still have to this day talking too fast. So people tend to think I'm from the Northeast. But other than that, for the most part, people think Chicago and other. They don't necessarily say New York not the point of the story but all of all of that process 80% psychological 20% physical was at the end of the day asking the simple question who is fred gaugel and he said you know once you get to that place and howard's turn howard's turn is howard's turn i get the sense he, in person he's the exact same guy now is marv yeah, alpert yeah. marv alpert at the dinner table where he's doing play by play with the family maybe maybe that maybe i think you know, after all those years maybe marv alpert really is marv alpert that way a very famous announcer from a uh, play-by-play guy from New York City who did the Knicks and Rangers for years and did a lot of NBA nationally, among other things. So, but so one thing I admire about you: who is Bob Volvano? Well, he, I think you've come to that point, and I, I think you came to it a while ago. You, for better or for worse, you are who you are, which is an interesting personality, very articulate, <laughs> very smart, with some uh, some opinions which are based in fact and substance, and also respecting people. And I think. That's an exceptionally cool thing, which is why I respect you so much. And But yeah. you had to find that place. Bob Vovano didn't just show up that first day on radio or TV, much as I told you when we played golf years ago. You would be a great broadcaster, and you are. But part of it was the journey and getting beaten up, getting your butt kicked, and figuring out what you really wanted in your life. And then being able to somehow package that into something that somebody wanted to listen to. And you do that in an exponentially great way. So, Well, I appreciate that. But
0: it's funny. You talk about people having had an impression on you. I learned that lesson in a different way from a woman named Amanda Gifford, who now is a very high executive at ESPN and deservedly so. She's a very talented woman. And uh, she was overseeing radio at that time. And, you know, I've always had some issues with, for lack of a better word, hot-button topics that, you know, you've got to have a take on. God, that drives me out of my mind. And so... This at this time go give you an idea how far back it goes. It was um, they would you know get ready for the Sunday afternoon show, and and the big topic of the day was: Did Brett Favre retire? Should he retire? Is, should he retire? I remember, every year it seemed like he was a homecoming yes. queen. Every year he yes. debated "Am I going to play? Am I not going to play? Am I going to come back to the Packers? Am I not going?" And I was like, "God, I'm so sick of, of You got to take. Should he retire? What do you think? Do you? And I, I said to her, "So she?" Got, I said, "Man, I got to tell you the truth. This is ridiculous. I mean, what, what do I care with replacement? <laughs> I don't understand it's his life. I mean, it, you know, it's his life. He can do what he wants with his life." I mean, do I still think he could be a good player? Sure. I don't think his skill set is completely gone, but I don't really care. And so why why is it a big deal? Why do I have to have an opinion on it? And we stopped. There's about two seconds of silence. She said, you just did a whole segment. Yep. That is your segment. Exactly. That's your your thought on it. Exactly. That's okay. You don't have to be for or against. No. Just tell people who you really are. And I said, you know what? Okay. And if, if if people then think you're no good or you're boring or you don't make any sense, then, okay, then you might say, all right, well, I don't have a job anymore, but that's how I felt about it. It's yep.
1: his life. You it know? goes back to Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson stood there and said, I am who I am, for better or for worse. And you happen to be a very entertaining, very articulate, interesting guy to listen to because you aren't just the, the everyday guy, whatever that guy is. And that's why people listen to you. That's why I listen to you. That's why I. I visit here uh, hopefully every week or so to, just to have that conversation with you because it it's part of the process, right? I mean, it, it, you, and, and it, you are an exception now in media. You are because there's so much shtick out there right now, especially in talk radio. And yep. it, it's going to come and go just like Joe Piscopo did 40 years ago. <laughs>
0: We uh, just did an hour. You said you are going to stay 20 minutes. We I know. Hour, my friend. I... So uh, let me let you go. No, what? don't be sorry. I
1: no, don't... it was a lot of fun. Uh, it, it's a it's a genuine joy to spend to time with you. A
0: lot of a lot of meat on the bone for that yes, first sir. hour. Let to yes, take a break. And when I come back, there's an outside chance I'm actually going to sound like I'm doing radio rather than just talking through a tunnel here. So uh, I'm going to work on that. You're going to go to your life, and uh, we are going to roll on. And my friend, thank you so much for coming by. I appreciate it.
1: Right back at you, my friend.
0: All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back. I'm going to see if I can salvage a setup here or an actual radio setup. So that's my task. I'll see if I can do that. And uh, you guys sit tight, and we'll be back with more on this Tuesday on ESPN 680,
2: 105.7. Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com/careers. That's opcpest.com/careers.
0: Where do you go to find all your favorite wine, beer, and spirits with selections customized to local tastes? For over 25 years, that go-to place has been Cox's Spirit Shop. Cox's, Louisville's go-to liquor store.
2: Taking care of your family isn't always easy, so we make sure getting care when you need it is...
1: Of the show, text Bobby V on the UPS Jobs text line at four three seven nine six eighty. All right, Nick, I think it's very important
0: we start this hour by telling them about our one in a trillion thing that happened yesterday. Do I sound like Uh, I'm on the radio?
2: Yeah, no, you're on the radio. Yeah, you sound. You sound actually sound. Where are you?
0: you disappeared. Where'd you go?
2: No, I'm here. I'm, I'm definitely here.
0: Okay. This is, this is, I want to make sure, say, say, say hello to me again. Hello, hello. All right, you're fine. The, the, I don't know what the odds are in this. I wish there was somebody who was really good at math could figure this out, because I'm convinced this had to be more, uh, the odds against this happening have to be greater than like making a hole in one or I don't know. I can't, I can't even fathom the odds that this happened. Here's what transpired. Okay. Show ended. We went right next door to Jimmy John's, okay? Sat down at a table, which just by coincidence happened to be near the register, all right? And I ordered, I always get the same thing. I get a number four, turkey tom. And I said, you know what? I'm going to get something different today. So I got the chicken Caesar wrap. It's very important in our story you remember that for two reasons. One, it became the, the... Basis, how my levels? By the way, they look hot from here. We okay?
2: Uh, it's go shot, but not bad. I've I've adjusted on my end. Okay.
0: So so, so if so, if you remember, Nick was there. He remembers. Um, I said that became the topic of conversation. I said to him, just making small talk, like I did to you a moment ago, saying, "Hey, you know, I usually get the turkey sandwich here, but I got something different today." And he said, which is conversational English, "Oh, what did you get?" And when he said, "Oh, what did you get?" the woman behind the counter calling out an order for the guy who was right after me. I'm talking about at that exact moment. Oh Wasn't yeah. Wasn't like there was a pause, right? It was.
2: No, it was it was perfectly timed. It was it, it was, was as, as if, if you were responding to me.
0: Exactly, and she said, "A uh, chicken Caesar wrap." <laughs> And I looked at Nick and I said, that's what I got. And I laughed. And then I got to thinking about it. And I said, what are the odds on that happening? If you look it up, the odds on somebody making a hole-in-one are one in 12,400. How they come up with that number, I have no idea. But if you think about it, it's not like you've got to take 12,400 shots to get a hole-in-one. Because... You're only going to really get it for the most part. Ninety-nine point nine percent of the golfers on a par three. So you would you'd have to play twelve thousand five hundred par threes to have a chance. And most people aren't going to play that many. But in their lifetime, you don't play nearly as many rounds as you think you do. By the way, most rounds are there's four or five par threes on a course. And so if you do that math, that's a whole crap ton of rounds to play. Okay, I'm going to have to shut this door. By the way, the repairman is here fixing. Our- I was
2: about to say, mom. Mom said, let him in
0: washing machine. No, he's here. He's here doing his thing. Okay. All right. So, um, uh, so the odds are about one in 12,500 for a hole in one. We, we, for that to have worked out the way it did, think of all the variables that have to go into this here. Number one, she has to say it at exactly the right time. If she says it like, even if it was the exact same order, if she says it 10 seconds earlier or five seconds later, it doesn't work. So there's that. So I don't know how many second windows she had to make that work, but it's not many. So you got that. It's also gotta be that somebody ordered food right after me. You know, that 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 had to be the guy who was right behind me so that my his sandwich came out right after mine did. Right. You know how they work there. They they're supposed to be fast, freaky fast. So he did mine. And they are and then he got that guy's. So there's that. Also, I don't know how many items there are in the menu, but there's gotta be I don't know. 50, 60? Probably. I mean,
2: if you factor in all the sides and, you know, everything like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so so you multiply all of that in, the number of sandwiches times the amount of time it took the window for her to say it times the fact that it had to be a guy right after me. Right. That it's got to be one in a million.
2: Oh, at least like as we started, like we, we chuckled about it, we're like oh that was good timing, and then as we kept talking about it, we we're like, wait a minute, for that to happen, it, this had to happen, for that to happen, this had to happen, for that to happen, this had to happen, and all of a sudden we, we like we reckon that it it's yeah it's comfortably higher than got to be one in a million because the guy has to be right after me. If he ordered, right, think about it. There's not only 40
0: variations of my sandwich. Then that's 40 times 40 because he's got to get at least 40. I think there's like 60. So there's, there's probably like 300 different combinations of my sandwich, his sandwich. I could get a four. He can get an eight. I can get a one. He can get a nine. All those things. Okay, so you got that. He has to order it. He has to come in right after me. If the guy had come in the store... Five minutes after me and ordered my exact sandwich, done work. I've already... We're conversations clearing our table and walking out. So we don't think anything at that point. If the, she calls out, Chicken Caesar, chicken yeah, Caesar out. as we're rap, leaving, right. As we're leaving, we'll say, oh, maybe one of us says, hey, look, you got what I got. I don't know, but not, not really significant, okay? So he's got to come in right after me. He's got to order the exact same sandwich, and she has to uh, or, um, announce it in a... I would say probably a five second window. Can you shut that all the way so he doesn't push it open?
2: I mean, thank you. When we say, there you go, five seconds, we're being very, very generous. She did it. Yeah, I mean, no, it, was, it was maybe, and I am nitpicking here. If it was like, what sandwich did you get? Chicken Caesar wrap? You know, like it was a split second. <laughs> it might have exactly. been like a slight, a slight <laughs> delay. Exactly. But it was, I mean, right. It's, on it's exactly.
0: When she said it was like old-time Top 40 radio, where everything had to be tight. You know, you had to talk right up to when the guy started singing. That's what it was like. It was unbelievable. And the thing about it that was cool to me... Was I mean, you didn't know what I got, so no. that didn't strike you as anything, so I said, hey, that's what I got. And then I started to break it down and realize the odds on that happening, the more we talked about it, the more it seemed like it's a one in a lifetime. You, you might go into Jimmy John's the rest of your life and never have
2: that happen again, quite literally, honest to God. That <laughs> was unbelievable. I, I think I'm actually going to try to see if that'll happen. Uh, and, Mike, and uh, uh, also because as, as, you're good at
0: stuff like this because you like me you're amused by the the absurdities of life if, if, if you said well you know that's like one of their main sandwiches it's not or one of their specials like okay yeah you know, if it was like if try ever, the new you know yeah.
2: mix, whatever mix, like they mix, had McRib. they have
0: a they had a, a Cajun chicken wrap that's new big If I ordered that, and then the next guy came in, you might say, well, sure, everybody's excited about the new promotional sandwich. This is just a thing on their menu. It's just just unbelievable. And the thing that made it even better is that it wasn't like she said like, I don't even know if they do this, but she didn't say like chicken Caesar wrap for Ted or chicken Caesar wrap and a Coke or chicken, nothing. It just was her answering your question, which was, what'd you get? Chicken Caesar wrap, done.
2: <laughs> right. There were no specifications on it. Nope. It was just it was perfectly timed. It was exactly what you had. And I, I mean, you know, I, also, you have to think about this. Like, we were sitting there. Like, we might not have heard that if we we, we don't usually sit at that exact. Also truth. True. So you have to factor in how many seats are in there. Like, for us to actually hear it, like the, like the number of items on the menu, the Where timing. We were sitting, all that, everything, yes. I mean, I mean and are, the thing,
0: that, the thing that, that amused me when we talked about it was we didn't get excited when she said it. It was only the more we talked about it and the more unlikely we realized it was. And I said to you, you know, that's a great thing. You make a hole in one. Everybody in your group jumps up and down and starts high-fiving. They realize. I mean, we could have done that, but then they'd have had us arrested. Cause, I'm like,
2: <laughs> what the heck? I mean, you also, like, we have to factor in, we were over there for, what, 20 minutes? So, I mean, uh, uh, the timing of, for that to happen in that 20-minute t- window, a, f- a half a second. How many half, like, or, like a, a yeah. second and a half. How many second and a halves are in 15 minutes? So for like it had to be the sandwich, it had to be the timing, it had to be the chair, it had to be um, uh, the the food item. And I mean, it was just it had to be also the odds of us discussing that. Like it it also had to be the odds of you buying something new. Typically, you get a turkey tom. There were so many little factors in there that I mean, seriously, it had to be I'm looking this up. I am say we were over there for 20 minutes. We were over there twenty minutes. How many uh, second and uh, we'll just do two? Well, seconds. Well,
0: in twenty minutes is twenty times sixty, so that's twelve hundred. Twenty so times twelve hundred seconds, and then each of those seconds you want to do a half second, so then there would be twenty-four hundred. Twenty-four hundred half
2: seconds. So just for her to answer that was a one in twenty-four hundred chance. Yes, at that exact moment. Exactly. Yeah. So a one in twenty-four hundred chance. Times times uh, 50 the variations
0: on the sandwiches were, which is probably about twenty four hundred times uh, the different combinations of sandwiches, meaning his sandwich and my sandwich is probably another what 30 times 30. So like nine hundred. So twenty four hundred times nine hundred. What does that come out to?
2: That comes out to two million one one hundred sixty thousand. <laughs> and we are lowballing in this, like because I'm sure there's other extenuating factors. Also, I mean, the chances of him ordering the exact same thing as you. I mean, maybe there's some social element to that. You know, we like to follow. Sometimes people like to follow the herd. Yes. He heard you. Hey, that sounds
0: good. I'll have what he's having. One of those.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So one of those things. But right now we are standing at two million one hundred sixty thousand to one for that to happen. And that's just us factoring in two things. (laughs) <laughs> the, the amount of time we were over there talking, and quite honestly, it might have been longer than that, and also the amount of items that were on the menu.
0: All right. Well, l- let me throw one other variable in there, which has nothing to do with the sandwich, but just for S&G. How, w- what percentage of golfers have actually made a hole-in-one? I'd like to see that because, as the regular listeners of the show know, I did. I made one when I was in ninth grade. I haven't made one since. It's been a long drought. It's been a, a 50-plus year drought, but I did make one. When I was in ninth grade, so and that's a one in 1200, twelve hundred twelve thousand shot f- for the shot. But how about players like for, so in other words for a golfer to be sitting there who's made a hole in one and who jibed his sandwich perfectly timed with the guy behind. Him, we're already at over two million. Now, what are the odds that that golfer's made a hole in one? What percentage of golfers have made hole-in-ones?
2: There's been, okay, over 90% of all golfers will never make one in their lifetime.
0: Okay, so now you've got to figure out how many people play golf, which conservatively in this country is what? Five million? Three million? Two million? How Eight million? How
2: many Americans play golf? Let's see here. More than 40 million people played golf in 2022. About <laughs> one in seven Americans. <laughs> So, again,
0: now, I guess I I know, believe me, I get it. I'm being a little disingenuous here because you could say, gee, how many people who were related to Jim Valvano or how many people, how many of Rocco Valvano's sons, you know, (laughs) had that happened? Oh, my God, there's only three of us and only two of us are still alive. So all the odds are, I get that. But I'm just saying to find Odd things uh, like if the guy, if, thank God, I don't want to be in this group, but suppose the guy had been hit by lightning. You know, one of the two of us had been struck by lightning. then you know, add that to the equation. So it's just, um, I, you know, that was just an added element of fun to make it sound even more unlikely. But even if you just take two generic people based on the two factors we've incorporated, it's about a one in two million shot, I think, that that would happen.
2: Of what? I think The that, sandwich uh, yeah. thing? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would probably i factor in there has to be some other extenuating factors.
0: Yeah, as but well. so so, I, and the great thing is we're not mathematicians, so maybe somebody who is is listening and saying no, no, you're not doing the variable, uh, consistent constant of the you know, derivative of I, you know, then I say, oh, well, now you, now you've taken all the fun out of it, but uh, I just think that is an extraordinarily unlikely circumstance. Coincidence, granted, but still unlikely. It was, and, the, and the great thing is, it didn't even excite us when it happened because it was just like,
2: oh, you know, like yeah, that was funny, like yeah, good timing. And then, like as we started talking about, we're like, holy smokes, that had to be, <laughs> that was so, like two million. So one in one in, uh, we well, just uh, one. It was one million. It was two million one hundred sixty thousand. So that's the odds: one in
0: two million one hundred sixty
2: thousand that that happened okay. over there. Because I'm going to uh, tell, I'm
0: uh, going to be telling that story from here on in. Because uh, I'm going to say by our very limited uh, mathematical uh, analyses, Nick and I have decided that we just experienced something that was a one in two million shot.
2: I like there's times when I, you know, I try not to get all tinfoil hatty, but I, I do think there, uh, there's something about I don't know if it's quantum, but like like quantum physics and everything like that, you know, the stuff that looks at really the deep picture. Of you know the the universe expanding and you know speed of light and time and everything like that you know the stuff that gets really science fictiony you know like and then there's you know the theories of the multiverse and everything like that but there's moments like that yesterday that make me think that we are in some kind of computer simulation. Or something along those lines. Because,
0: because the guy ordered my sandwich.
2: And yeah, and 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 one of a trillion little computer programmers that have to do everyday life got a little lazy and just decided to hit copy paste. It was just like, eh, screw it. Like we'll have the, the chubby guy talking to his big headed son and uh the other guy behind him, the handsome lad, needs a sandwich. Screw it, it'll be the same one. And and I don't feel like rewriting the conversation code. The two of them are talking about sandwiches. And you know, I just it's I'm about to go wow. to D- Disney next week, you know, I've got I've got vacation on the mind and he just took a little shortcut. And now, and now he's like, "Oh, Jesus." Like, you know, he's getting called into HR and they're like, "Did you copy and paste the sandwich order?" Now two idiots that are on the radio. The odds of that happening, Jim, are crazy. Now they're doing a whole segment about it and people are going to catch on. And so the aliens are now now this poor guy is going to have to sit through like a, you know, an alien computer uh, modulation course. He's got... He's getting... He's. He just got demoted because <laughs> he's he copied and pasted the sandwich order. And they're like, Oh geez, I can't believe I did that. You know, now... I, I- I kind of like that narrative. That sounds like a show. I'd like that to be a
0: TV show. I kind of like that.
2: So, you know, the poor guy.
0: That'd be awesome. The office of these people that really are controlling the universe. And, you know, they have all the same personalities like the TV show, The Office. And so, he's the one lazy guy, and he's in there. And are you cutting and pacing again? Yeah. You, know, you mean the Bills lost the Super Bowl again? Well, I didn't feel like changing it. I didn't want to write yeah, a just, different narrative. just had a miss wide right, you know, again. And so, that's it. All right. I got to take a break because uh, I have to go pay the repairman. Oh, so okay. uh, nice. it, it, so I, is your
2: washer fixed?
0: Yeah. 15 minutes. We waited uh, 10 days for 15 minutes. Not his fault.
2: This is, this is interesting. My man, Doc, who plays on our softball team, texted me. said, I made a hole in one the day before my wedding with my best man and soon-to-be father-in-law. The odds of that happening...
0: So well, That's true, because most people, if they make hole-in-ones, like, certainly I was not getting married the next day when I was in ninth grade, so right. most of the days of your life are not spent um, the day before making a hole-in-one. Most of the hole-in-ones made are not the day before your wedding, so what are the odds on that? Right. That's probably one in uh, two million. So, oh, so, how many days How many days in your life? How many days in your life? You're lucky enough. Here we go. Let's play again. Very faulty math. Average life expectancy for a man in this country is 74. So 74 times 365. Hopefully you have a calculator there. What's okay. 74 times three, 365?
2: Times 365. It's 27,010.
0: Multiply that times 12,000.
2: By 12,000? 12, because that's your one in 12,000 shot of making a hole in one. Okay, so three hundred and twenty four million one hundred and twenty thousand. <laughs>
0: so his his was what he did is a one in three million
2: shot. Doc, congratulations. Three hundred and twenty four <laughs> million. Oh my god. <laughs> three hundred and twenty four million one hundred and twenty thousand.
0: <laughs> Making a hole in one on your the day before your wedding. Yeah, that's it, because there's 12,000 chance you're going to make one, and in your lifetime, your wedding day will only be one of whatever how many days it is in 74 years, unless you get remarried. Then we would change it a little bit. So let's Right, say then were, we
2: would divide that by two, I guess. Or
0: three, or four, or in Elizabeth Taylor's case, eight. Yeah, right, so, exactly. Yeah. All right, I'll be back. Thanks for indulging us with our chaos today, and uh, we'll roll on here on ESPN six eighty one oh five seven.